0: Good morning. Welcome to each one this morning. Visitors and home folk alike. I trust that is our prayer. I know that is my prayer. We were just singing. Lift us up above the shadows when to earth you come again. May we be in that assembly as thy bride to ever reign. I guess that... What is the burden of the message this morning is that we would be diligent that we might be able as the bride to reign in that with our Lord. I will tell you I had another message I was thinking I was going to talk about this morning and I was not getting a clearing for it. And uh, I don't know if that stemmed from being gone all day at a funeral yesterday, or if just from fear of man, or from the spirit of God. I don't know. <laughs> so we have a different one that we're we would like to. And now, if I can get this thing out of here, how did I do this before? I think it was like this. There we go. No, that's not how I did it. Okay, hmm. Maybe I'll just have to stack it up piece by piece. All right. Somehow I got this thing out of the box in one piece this morning. It was like that. No, it wasn't like that. <laughs> Give it just a minute here we'll get this up. I don't remember if I've ever done this here. But if I, I don't think I did I did i I did this at Burksville I did it at harmony once and and I uh found it appropriate to use it this morning this kind of will help illustrate a point we want to make. I walked in with this this morning and a couple of the boys thought I, I was just coming to play games during church but Good enough, good enough. Now because I was going to be pressed on time this morning, I wasn't going to uh, really read any text this morning. What I'm going to share with you I believe is scriptural and I would encourage you if there was a text to read in the light of this morning's message, it would be, to read through really the whole book of 1 John, but especially chapter two. I love that chapter and sometimes you can just meditate on that and all of its implications to us today. And uh, So in thinking about what we have on our heart this morning, I thought I'd begin with a, with a little story that I heard one time, and it goes like this. The crash of the giant redwood could be heard for miles around. But the question that remained on everybody's mind long after the noise of the fall had died away was how? There had been no chainsaw. There had been no forest fire. There had been no dynamite. What could have brought the towering monarch to the dust? Unseen by the eye of man, for many years, thousands of little beetles had been eating away at the heart within. And though unseen to the eye of man, little by little they succeeded in laying this mighty giant on its back. Its decay from within had made the giant once tall and strong too weak to stand. As we think on that little parable, I like to apply it to the way that Sin and the world and the voices around us, the hosts of sin, work away at us. They can do it so little bit at a time that we don't even realize sometimes what's happening, unless we're watching for it. And I don't think reality has fully sunk in to us sometimes. To myself, the danger that we face, the war that is being waged against our souls and against the bride of Christ. Satan is out to destroy us, we know that. We know he doesn't just leave us alone because we're saved now. In fact, as he doubles his efforts. <clears throat> we sing that hymn sometimes. My soul, be on thy guard. Ten thousand foes arise. The hosts of sin are pressing hard to draw thee from the skies. And that word draw has stood out to me before. Of what significance is that little word? You know, when we say that God is drawing someone or when we say that someone is drawing attention to themselves you know they're not forcing anybody to look at what they're doing god is not forcing anyone to come to him there's this this gravitational pull it's just it's it's drawing it's appealing it's catching the eye did you know that the hosts of sin can never force you from the skies. They cannot hold you from the skies. According to my understanding, I believe there is only one tactic they use because there is only one they can use, and that is drawing. Want to draw you from this. There's a poem that says, Yea, though the hosts of sin may rise, and though they press us strong, we must confess that from the prize we are not forced but drawn. Trying to steal our attention, to draw us away, by appealing to either our fleshly desires or our weaknesses. You know, the Bible speaks of those who draw back into perdition. It speaks of him that is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And praise the Lord, it also speaks about Jesus Christ, if he be lifted up, will draw all men to him. I trust that nothing this morning would be more drawing, more catching of our attention than the Lord Jesus Christ and the purity of his bride, the church. Now, we talk about drift sometimes. <clears throat> and uh, years ago at Harmony, I, we, we, it, was a, it was a subject that was being talked a lot about, and I, I remember asking Vanessa, I said, so is there, is there an illustration that we could use to, to make this concept of drift understood to even a child? And uh, I, remember, I remember as a boy this plaque on my dad's desk. It was a little wooden plaque. And it said, it's better to build children than to repair men. And uh, I'm glad that Jesus Christ does both. <laughs> he can repair men. But it is important to build children. <laughs> and uh, it's better to teach before something becomes a problem than to wait till it's a problem and then try to correct it. That's basically what it's saying, if I understand it right. And uh, so this was kind of born out of a desire to build children in a sense. So children, I think even you can understand this. What is, and thinking about what is drift? You know how a church goes from wholehearted discipleship to the Lord Jesus Christ and purity and holiness to compromising and assimilating with society around it and the world around it. What happens? And so this tower here this morning is going to represent each one of these blocks. I guess the tower is going to really represent the church. And each one of these blocks is going to represent a principle that God's people hold to. You know, her doctrines, her theology, her applications of Bible principle, you know, the commandments of God, um, and this kind of thing. Each, each one of those blocks is going to represent a principle. Each block has been laid with care. Not, not this block, this block here was late and trembling well, but anyway <laughs> and you know when we when you back up and you take the whole thing in as a whole that's one thing but oftentimes we we kind of zero in on, the, on these each individual block right and we lose the whole side of the whole picture a little bit and we start scrutinizing and analyzing you know each principle and how necessary it is and is that the way it really ought to be and And we begin to look at these blocks or principles with a critical eye. And this is often what follows. I don't know. Do we really need this plain old, you know, outdated way of dress? I mean, is it a salvation issue? I don't think we need that one. Do I really need to live like a, a pilgrim and a stranger? I mean, do I have to stand out so much from society around me and what I drive and how I live and how I order my business and finances? I don't, I'm just not sure that that one really matters either. You know, why should I allow my authorities to dictate so much of my life? It's my life. What do they know about that? And is 1 is Corinthians really for us today, or is that just a cultural thing? i It's not a salvation issue, right? We'll just let that go. And one by one, we start discarding these principles based on the fact that they're not important or salvific or they don't, Fit well with society, or it's outdated, or whatever it is, and we just one by one keep taking. Hey, be quiet! We don't like prophets <laughs> We deal with things as they come. <laughs> sufficient unto the evil is the uh, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And one after another, we just keep taking these away. aren't coming out real easily. But anyway, you get the idea. And it winds up in a mess. Now this is the question that I want to ask. If you look at most of the messes on this side where you can't see it, but you get the idea. It's a mess. It's all laying on the ground and it's scattered and there is no more tower. Which block was the block that caused this. Which principle in a church that ends up like this is the one principle that caused destruction? It's all of them. There is not one. But it is all. And this is over a Obviously, oftentimes, a matter of time. As people, I've often heard preachers say, as people, we get used to things. Something that at one time seemed evil, no longer seems evil after we're used to it, right? I think there's that old poem that says, Sin is a monster of such horrible main that to be hated needs but to be seen. But seen so oft, familiar with its face, we first endure then pity, then embrace. So the question is, is is there a lesson in this for us? Does not each principle that we lay aside, that we discard on the basis of it not mattering or on the basis of Wanting to do something th- a different way, a way we would rather do it. Does not each principle that we lay aside play a part in weakening our tower? And will it not leave us in this condition? There's a poem I wanted to read up here and some of you have probably heard this poem about the church and the world but it's amazing when you look at this poem how many things are actually mentioned specifically in here that are often some of the first blocks to go so allow me to read this this morning and this with a with a burden that this would not happen to us. We believe in being proactive, right? We want to deal with things before they're a problem. And so, you know, sometimes, it, uh, whether as a father or whatever, you, you try to, to teach on the potential of a problem before it's a problem. Because if you wait till it's actually a problem, it's really, really hard. To back up, the church and the world walked far apart on the changing shores of time. The world was singing a giddy song, and the church a hymn sublime. Come, give me your hand, said the merry world, and walk with me this way. But the good church hid her snowy hands and solemnly answered, Nay. I will not give you my hand at all, and I will not walk with you. Your ways are the ways of spiritual death, and your words are all untrue. We're talking about Pilgrim's progress this morning. No, you read that. I was reading that line this morning and I thought of Pilgrim's progress. Like, nay, nay, tis an evil thought. Put it away. <laughs> nay. Walk with me but a little space, said the world with a kindly air. The road I walk is a pleasant road, and the sun shines always there. Your way is narrow and thorny and rough, while mine is flowery and smooth. Your law is sad with reproach and toil, but in rounds of joy I move. My way, you can see, is a broad and fairer one. My gate is high and wide. There's room enough for all of us to travel side by side. Half shyly, the church approached the world and gave him her hand of snow. And the old world grasped it and walked along, whispering in accents low, Your dress is too simple to please my taste. I have gold and pearls to wear, rich velvets and silks for your graceful form, and diamonds to deck your hair. The church looked down at her plain white robes, and then at the dazzling world, and blushed as she saw his handsome lip with a smile contemptuous curled. I will change my dress for a costlier one, said the church with a smile of grace. And her pure white garments drifted away, and the world gave in their place beautiful satins and fashionable silks and roses and gems and pearls. And over her forehead her bright hair fell, waved in a thousand curls. Your house is too plain, said the proud old world. May I build you one like mine, with kitchen for feast and parlor for play and furniture ever so fine?" So he built her a costly and beautiful house, quite splendid it was to behold. Her sons and her daughters met frequently there, shining in purple and gold. Rich fairs and shows in the halls were held, and the, ch- and the world with his children were there. Laughter and music and feasting were heard in the place that was meant for prayer. An angel... In mercy rebuked the church and whispered, I know thy sin. And the church looked sad and anxiously longed to gather her children in, but some were away at the midnight ball and others were at the play, and some were drinking in gay saloons, so the angel went away. Then said the world in comforting tones, your loved ones mean no harm. "'They're merely indulging in innocent sport.' "'So she leaned on his proffered arm. "'She smiled and chatted and gathered flowers "'and walked along with the world "'while countless millions of precious souls "'were hungering for truth untold. "'Your preachers are all too old and plain,' "'said the world with a scornful sneer. "'They frighten my children with dreadful tales "'which I do not like to hear. "'They talk of judgment and fire and pain, and doom the darkest of night. They warn of a place that should not be thus spoken to ears polite. I will send you some of a better stamp, more brilliant and learned and fast. They'll show that men may live as they please, and still go to heaven at last. The Father is merciful, sweet, and good, loving, and tender, and kind, Do you think he'd take one child to heaven and leave another behind? So she called for pleasing and gay divines, deemed gifted and great and learned. And the plain old men who preached the cross were out of her pulpits turned. Then Mammon came in and supported the church and rented a prominent pew. And the preaching, singing, and floral display proclaimed a gospel new. You give too much to the poor, said the world, far far more than you ought to do. Though the poor need shelter, food, and clothes, why should it trouble you? Go take your money and buy rich robes, and horses and carriages fine, and pearls and jewels, and dainty food, the rarest and costliest wine. My children, they dote on all of these things, and if you, their love, would win, you must do as they do. And walk in that way, the flowery way therein. The church her purse strings tightly held and gracefully lowered her head. And simpered, I've given too much away. I will do, my friend, as you said. So the poor were turned from her door in scorn. She heard not the orphans cry. And she drew her beautiful robes aside as the widows went weeping by. Thus... They of the church and they of the world walked closely, hand and heart, and none but the Master who knoweth all understood they had once been apart. Then the church sat down at ease and said, I am rich and my goods increase. I have need of nothing and naught to do save to laugh and dance and feast. The sly world heard her and laughed within and mockingly said aside, The church has fallen, the beautiful church, and her shame is her boast and her pride. Thus her witnessing power, alas, was lost, and perilous times came in, the times of the end so oft foretold of form and pleasure and sin. Then the angel drew near the mercy seat And whispered in sighs her name, and the saints their anthems of rapture hushed, and heads were covered with shame. And a voice of waters and thunders came down from him who sat on the throne I know thy works and what thou hast said, but alas, thou hast not known that thou art poor and naked and blind. To pride and shame thou art sold. The expected bride of the heavenly groom is the harlot of the world. Thou hast ceased to watch for that blessed hope. Thou hast fallen from mercy and grace. So now, I, so now alas, I must cast thee out and blot thy name from its place. I trust... That the Lord would impress upon our hearts to teach diligently our children, to watch diligently ourselves, that does not become our doom. Let's pray. Holy Father, we turn to you. Lord, we realize that there is a battle. In this world, between the good and the evil, two different um, forces or influences, or not sure exactly what they would be called, are, are vying for our attention, for our allegiance. Oh God, we want nothing to be more beautiful to us and to our children and to our children's children than you than your bride than the purity of your bride then the sanctification of our own hearts and minds holiness righteousness and faith God would you make us diligent give us discernment in these last days you called the Pharisees when you walked on the earth you called the Pharisees hypocrites because they could not discern the times they were in oh God make us watchful make us discerning of the times that we're in help us we pray that one day when to earth you come again we may reign with your bride we may be in that number